The Jewish holiday, Rosh Hashanah, begins this Sunday evening, and on this edition of Thinking Biblically, we're going to look at one of its central themes, forgiveness. Welcome to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Before we get into this week's topic, I want to remind everyone, if you haven't done so already, to please subscribe. Also, please share, review, and like. You could leave comments in the, in the comments section, and you could always email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. So Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, begins this year, uh, Sunday evening, September the 25th. Uh, it's actually one of three festivals that uh, are work in a sort of progression. Uh, the term Rosh Hashanah is not used in the scripture. Actually, what we find in the book of Leviticus, the Hebrew name is Vayikra, chapter 23, is it's referred to as a day of blowing. It doesn't actually say blow what. Uh, traditionally, it's become the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn, uh, which you'll get to hear in a little while. Um, it's also referred to elsewhere as a day of remembrance, and we're going to get into that in, in a little bit, in a couple of minutes. Uh, but it's it's interesting how it functions as the beginning of this, this series of, of three festivals, commemorations, uh, that begin at this time of year. Uh, here in this busy time now in ancient Israel would have been a harvest time. Uh, during that busy time, people were called upon to stop as they heard the blast of, of the shofar, and they would remember, they remember things about God. And, and later on in this podcast, uh, we're going to replay uh, a, a podcast from last year that I did with my son Daniel, where we discuss various scriptures that speak about what the shofar represents through the scriptures. And we'll do that in a little while. Um, I want to focus on something in particular, but first I want to continue this explanation about the three festivals. And so 10 days after uh, Rosh Hashanah, this special day of remembrance, is the most sacred day of the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's a national day of humility and repentance. And then five days after that is the festival of Sukkot, also called Tabernacles or Booths in English. And Sukkot is a an overweek-long festival of thanksgiving it's likely where we got our concept of having a harvest thanksgiving holiday in canada north america we do it for one day biblically speaking it was to be a whole week of of rejoicing over god's provision through for the year before and it's interesting in how god put this forward in the scriptures that before you take this time to celebrate you need a time of reflection and a, a time to recalibrate, so to speak, and, and make sure what you and your and the nation is, is right with God. But that isn't done out of out of nowhere with no preparation itself. And that's what Rosh Hashanah provides. But through the blowing of the shofar, we're called to stop, to remember who God is, who we are, and to get things right with God and with others. And then we're able to go through the the rest of the process of of the the next couple of weeks. So what I want to do is I want to focus particularly on the one concept, the very important concept of repentance and forgiveness uh, that is 
focused upon at this at this time of year. It's an important thing throughout the year, um, but it has a particular focus, and so I would like to to focus on it uh, today. So through Rosh Hashanah, we are provided with a particular opportunity to get right with God. Now, of course, most people don't even think on those terms. Many people who even believe in God don't think of the need to get right with God. But that often stems from the fact that most people don't realize that God himself wants to have a close, intimate relationship with his human creatures. And this was his original plan from the beginning. But from the beginning, human beings decided to go their own way. And the tendency of human beings to for us to do our own thing in our own time, in our own way, without reckoning what God really wants from us, that's the biblical concept of sin. Sin is a way to describe our, our being out of sorts with God, our not... Uh, living up to his standards of living. I know we could think of we think of God's standards. We can think of him heavy-handedly uh, ordering us in a particular way. But actually, God's ways, as expressed in the scriptures, uh, are his invitation to us to live life a- according to the according to goodness, according to the ways that we could be the most fruitful, effective, um, and the ways we can better relate to one another and even relating to ourselves it's it's our refusal to do life god's way that actually gets us into trouble but even though we get ourselves into trouble we have an opportunity to to rectify that now first and foremost we have to see that that trouble that we're in is primarily due to our neglect of God and his ways. We read in the Hebrew scriptures, the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You know, I find that even on a daily basis. You might you might think that's strange. That when I am not, when I have things in my life that are not what they should be, when I've not reckoned with my sins, that that creates a barrier between me and God. Now, I do believe that through the Messiah, we can have right relationship with God, and that's the foundation upon everything else. And if if you have not yet had that experience, if, if you have not yet gotten to know God through Yeshua the Messiah, I invite you to do so. And it's not a simple thing, but it's a simple thing to do in that all we need to do is ask God to forgive us our sins and put our trust in Yeshua the Messiah. And that starts us off on a, on a life reconciled with God where we can know what it means to be His children. But once that happens, and that becomes the basis of the rest of our lives, that doesn't mean, I'm all good, doesn't matter what I do. Because when we continue to not live life God's way, that does create barriers between between us and God and us and others. 
And so we need to continually reckon with the fact that we tend to go our own way and make sure that we are right with God on a daily basis. In the Lord's Prayer uh, that we read in the books of Matthew and, and Luke, with these, a model prayer given to the Messiah's followers, these are not the only words that we say, but included in them is, is forgive us our sins as we too forgive those who sin against us. And I know this is something that we need to do every day, whether we say it like a formula or not, because in that same model prayer, uh, we're, uh, we're instructed to say, give us this day our daily bread. We're to rely upon God for his provision every day and, and put that and speak it, speak it out vocally, not just acknowledge that that's a thing. Oh, I rely on you, God. You know I rely on you, God. Without you, I wouldn't have what I need. But we're... We've been instructed by the Messiah to daily articulate our need of of his provision. And along with that is the need to make sure that we are daily right with God and others as, as best as we can. Forgive us our sins as we too forgive those who sin against us. And so God has set things up in such a way that we can be right with him. I've already referred to his invitation into intimate relationship with him by trusting in the Messiah, that we don't, we cannot bear the, the heavy weight of our wrongs. I know some people are overwhelmed with guilt. Maybe you are. You might be believe in God, you might believe in Yeshua, you may not. And yet, you, the, your past haunts you with the heaviness of the things that you have done. Now, some people don't consider these things at all, whether they don't care, or they have an understanding of, of, of faith in God that, that gives the impression you don't have to reckon at all with the things that you've done wrong, wrong in your life. I'm, I would encourage you, just like this time of year is, is an opportunity to reckon with who we are before God. Are there things that you have never reckoned with? So some people haven't yet and need to, and others of us are overly burdened down by the guilt and the shame of the things that we have done, whether we did it earlier today or years in the past. And those of us who claim we believe in Yeshua, the Messiah, have forgotten. If we are overwhelmed by that guilt, we have forgotten that God has actually taken our wrongs and laid it on the Messiah himself. Again, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 6, we read, all we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This time of year, this what we call the high holidays, includes the in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. In ancient times, that was when the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, would go into the most holy place of the temple, for the only time in the entire year, and he would bring a, a particular sacrifice, 
and he would sprinkle this special golden chest, the Ark of the Covenant, with this, with this, with this blood. And it was in order to restore relationship between God and the people of Israel for another year. It was like it was a, a maintenance plan, so to speak. And and so by by doing this, it it maintained the relationship between God and the people. In modern Judaism, ever since, it's been 2,000 years, ever since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, sacrifices haven't been made. That sacrifice hasn't been made. And so there's been a shift in Jewish thought since then that our forgiveness isn't based on something that God provides, but it's more based on what we do. And that what we do might be the the merits of our forefathers in the ancient past or through various religious things that we do. Even the act of repentance becomes a deed of merit. It's focused on what we do primarily rather than receiving what God has done for us, which is the biblical view. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so if we have come to believe in Yeshua the Messiah, then we need to remember that that heavy burden of our wrongs, no matter how terrible they may, may have been, have been placed upon him. We cannot bear the burden of our wrongs. But Messiah, who was crushed by them because he was sinless, has been able to bear it. And he has shown that he has done this successfully by conquering death through his resurrection. And it's in, in Jewish thought that, that there emerged an idea of the resurrection of the dead. And it's when it's a, a bit of a, it's not funny, really funny thing, I guess it's a strange thing, but an interesting thing that Yeshua, who is deemed to be so very non-Jewish in the mind of many Jewish people, that he is the proof positive that the Jewish concept of resurrection is a real thing. He conquered death by taking upon himself our sin. And so that we do not have to bear the, the, the crushing burden of it. It's on him. And so because of that, because he took upon himself our sin, we can be truly forgiven. And that begins by our giving our lives to him. And it continues on as we continue to reckon with the fact that we blow it, that we don't live up to God's standards even now. Even having been forgiven in that primary way, in that basic way, we know his ongoing forgiveness. And it is something that we need to continue to reckon with. In 1 John, in the New Covenant writings, the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, a couple of my favorite verses, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are people that make it sound as once you believe in Yeshua, 
you're good. Sin's no longer an issue. It almost becomes like an, an imaginary thing. Uh, but no, we need to take it seriously. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it means to admit it, to admit our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so by reckoning reckoning that we still sin, we still blow it, we still do wrong, and that we admit that, something powerful happens to us. We're for, we continue to be forgiven and we experience the ongoing cleansing of God by admitting that we sin. And when we are forgiven, we connect with something that that God has done through Yeshua, and in, because what Yeshua has done by, by destroying death through his resurrection is he's moving creation towards the day when God will set all things right forever. And by our connecting with God through Yeshua, we anticipate being, being part of that great restoration. And that is a work, despite all the crazy things that are happening in the world today, that is something that, that God is working things towards. And if we have been made right with him through Yeshua, we are part of that those purposes and plans of God. And so it, it all connects with this idea of, of cleansing us from all unrighteousness as we are being made more and more in to his image, back into his image, and we get to walk with him. And so what I want to talk about now, just before we get into, into looking at the verses that refer to uh, the, the blowing of the shofar, what I want to get into now is the, the power of that forgiveness in our lives today, that because of what Yeshua has done, and if we confess our wrongs, we do not have to be controlled by, by the effects of those wrongs. Now, there could still be consequences. People might get mad at us for doing something that they don't like. Now, of course, they might get mad at us for doing something right, but when we do wrong, it can upset people. It could put us out of sorts with the society. There might be amends that we have to make, a payments that we have to pay for doing certain wrong things. But as far as the master of the universe is concerned, we are forgiven. When he forgives us, that means we are in right relationship with him and we have no fear, need to have no fear that he condemns us. As far as the God of the universe is concerned, when we are forgiven, we are set free as far as his relationship to us is concerned. And there's a freedom there that is not like any other freedom we might experience in our lives. And so, when we have that, that enables us to live life to its fullest, despite whatever we may have done. Now, as far as people are concerned, when we do wrong, that might get us into trouble. But what 
however that works out, because we are right with God, we can live out His will in the midst of whatever else is happening in our lives. And we stop to think about what that means. Because when we know God, the resources of heaven are at our disposal. We have an ongoing audience with the King of Kings. He has poured out His Spirit. He has given us His presence to be with us. Which is why, whether we've gotten into trouble for doing good or bad, we have heaven living in us and we can access those resources. And I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I have forgotten that where something has happened, something has happened to me, something that I've done, where I've blown it. Maybe I've blown it. Other people think I've blown it. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. And I forget that God is actually with me. But when I remember that he is, I have hope. And I have joy. The power of forgiveness is mine. And it can be yours if you take the time to own up on a regular basis that that you have done wrong and you deserve God's punishment. But through Yeshua, he has taken on our behalf and we can have intimate relationship with him on a day-by-day basis. And so the blowing of the shofar is a call to repentance. And repentance means to turn back, to turn back to God and um and so what we're going to do now is i'm going to i'm going to replay for you um a podcast a segment of a podcast from last year where i spent some time with my son daniel and and we went over various verses that refer to the to the ram's horn the shofar and talk about the various ways the, the scripture speaks about that and some of the things that the blowing of the shofar reminds us of and at the end of the, of that discussion I blow the shofar. And so let's play that now. I'm going to bring up some scriptures and uh, go over them one by one. And we're going to talk about them a little bit. And uh, let me see here, get this ready. And this is not rehearsed. So we're going to see how this goes. So I'm going to ask Daniel to read the passages. And I'll turn the screen share off and, and, and we will talk about them. So go ahead, Daniel, when you're ready. Exodus 19, 16 to 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud shofar blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So the first thing that I should say, which I should have said before we started reading, was in all the places of the the Hebrew Bible Old Testament scriptures we're using, because we're going to be looking at a New Testament passage, which originally was written in Greek. Uh, the 
the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which is the way I like to refer to it, written in Hebrew, of course. All these passages, you, some translations might have the word horn, some might use the word trumpet. A trumpet uh, is a little confusing because I think trumpet should be used for a, a, a horn-type thing made out of metal, which in uh, the book of Leviticus, we read about the, the silver trumpets that they made that the priests blew. That's not the same as the shofar, which is a horn. And so all these passages, the Hebrew word that in, in most English translations says horn or trumpet, it's the Hebrew word shofar. And so that's why I put the word shofar in. And so this passage is the people of Israel are gathered at Mount Sinai. And um, part of the experience is they hear the sound of a shofar blast. They don't see one, but they recognize it. It's the sound of, of something like a ram's horn. And so this reminds us of God's redemption and revelation uh, of his people. It's, this is the time where God has delivered the people out of Egypt and... So he's redeemed them, and now he's revealing his word, his will to the people. And so the shofar reminds us of God's redemption and his word. Think, Daniel, any thoughts? Oh, I got it just, it sends chills up my spine at the end of the passage that we looked at, where it says, um, and God answered. And I just, it, it goes with what you're saying about, um, yeah, God delivering, redeeming, and, and speaking to the people. Um, in God's word to us, there is there's healing, there's life. Uh, just there's so many of us have had an experience where we've you know cried out to heaven, where we have both even people who hardly believe in a God or don't will like speak to heaven as if they're as if as if no one's listening, but wishing there was. But in the in 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 real living history as in this passage, God actually answered. Right. And James tells us that when we lack wisdom, we can ask God and he gives wisdom freely mm -hmm. to those that are willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in the, in the shofar sound, as we hear it, it is also a reminder for us to open our hearts afresh to a God who answers, to a God who speaks. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm also hearing here the awe. Uh, often we take God's word too glibly and then there are some people that kind of think, well, the Old Testament, God is, you know, that's God is awesome and, and scary, and he becomes kind of nicey-nicey in the New, and that's just not. In the New Testament book of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. And God's words should should have this, this impact on our hearts. And it's something that when you hear the shofar blown, when it's blown properly, um, it provides that sense of awe. And so it's a good reminder you know, maybe if we're not being in awe of God's word, we may not be paying attention. Mm -hmm. Ready to go to the next one? Sure. Okay. Here we go. This one is a, a, a lot of people are familiar with the... Uh, I'll do this right. Where are we here? Sorry, folks. There we go. Here we go. Joshua 6.20. Okay, Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted, and the shofars were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the shofar, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So 
After that, the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Okay, hopefully that works. I pause the share. Did that work on your end, Daniel? I still see the words, the beautiful okay, words. Okay, so let me do that and then do that. Okay, we're back. Yeah, so this is this is very familiar to a lot of people. Uh, this is the first major uh, major act of conquest on the part of General Joshua and and the Israelite army after entering into the Promised Land, and God gives some strange instructions. Uh, Jericho was a heavily fortified walled city, and the people were told to march around it. Um, each day and on the on the seventh day they would march around seven times and then the priests the kohanim in english english in hebrew um blew this um and the response was kaboom the walls came a tumbling down and so the shofar reminds us of god's miraculous victory in life's battles as well as the tearing down of walls we we go through life and um and we face obstacles and i'm not saying we should all go out and buy shofars and every time you have a problem blow the shofar it's going to disappear the reason why the walls of jericho fell down uh, after the blast of the shofars is because this is what god told them to do um they weren't worried later on when they blew it at other times that walls were going to fall down but it does remind us that god is the one that overcomes impossible impossible situations and something i heard as my dad was speaking and he mentioned this is what god had told him to do one of the things that i hear when we blow the shofar is a reminder of the call to obedience uh the 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 blast of the shofar as loud as the shofar is is not what brought the walls down god brought the walls down and god brought the walls down in accordance with his promise that as they obeyed him in this way he would do it and God, in light, like this isn't a matter of karma. It's not that the people would do something good and then they would get something good, that they would obey God and then, okay, now they get the good result. But in life, like, we are called to obey God. And as we, as we remember God's goodness, his kindness, his wisdom and insight, we can find every reason to realize that whatever area of our life it is, our words, our money, our sexuality, our relationships, anything in our lives, the rhythms of our life, that if God is all that he says he is and he is, then obeying him is is, is the wise thing, is, is the thing we should long for. And so I think that we can hear that again in the call of the shofar, a call to obey God. And then to expect that when we obey God, that doesn't mean everything's always going to work out, but we can expect the unexpected. We can expect that the impossible can become possible. Um, and there's all sorts of examples in the scriptures of people doing um, strange things that God told them to do um, that result in in incredible, outcome, wonderful outcomes. But as you're talking, it was, it was it is kind of, I had this funny thought, you know, the next time they faced a wall city, you know, let me get my shofar as if the shofar is gonna be the thing that's gonna bring the walls down and, and uh, it doesn't work like that. And so Absolutely. when we hear the shofar, we need to be, remember not the shofar, but the call to obey. Amen. Yeah. It's so yeah. true. Okay. Yeah, so along, along those lines, the, 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 as we remember this passage, 
the the sound of a shofar can remind us to stop putting our trust in our strategies and what's worked in the past and even even in the ways that God has come through for us in the past, but to remember that that we need God afresh today and every day to be doing what only he can do. Yeah, right absolutely. Now. Well, let's go to the next one. Yeah, maybe one day God will provide a technician for me. Uh, am I doing this right? No, that would have been the wrong one. Here we go. I'll try not to make comments as we go along. So this is Psalm 47, verse 5. Take it away, Daniel. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a shofar. So in Psalm 47, the shofar is associated uh, with the fact that God is king. There's, it's, it, the psalm reads something like, in, in, like the inauguration, a coronation rather, of the king. Um, and God deserves uh, this, 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 this great sound to be played as he goes up. Um, but let's, there's that whole idea of God as king. Um, we need to remember that he is over all of life and that we should constantly be giving deference to him, the king. And the shofar reminds us of that. Wonderful. I have nothing to add. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, another Psalm, 96, verses 4 to 6. Make a joyful... Oh, sorry. No, I love your voice. You can read oh, it. Did I read the last one, too? <laughs> well, I, think, I, think I, I read, the, read last the last one. one. <laughs> Our voices are so similar. It's genetics. Okay, go ahead, Daniel. You can read it together. Okay, let's do that. No, it's a bad idea over oh, Zoom. Wait a second. No, it's Zoom. You can't do yeah. that. <laughs> I'll read it. Go. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the shofar. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Yeah, so here's a, a, a passage that actually has the word for trumpet, uh, the Hebrew word for trumpet, and the Hebrew word for horn, shofar. And so the last psalm, um, proclaiming God as king. And this one, praise God because he is worthy. And there are several psalms that talk about making a joyful noise and this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, we make fusses over lesser things. And, you know, there are some... Um, uh, some churches that do large and loud celebrations and uh, others that think that only quiet and subdued is, is worthy of God. And it's possible that some of the louder ones could have some times of, of, of quieter. Uh, I don't know about where you go or where you've been. Sometimes it could move into a, a more of a show than a celebration of God. Um, but those who have been in the habit of subdued and quiet um, maybe need to break out of their shells a little bit and make a joyful noise to the Lord and make, you know, an, an appropriate, can I call it a racket? A, a racket for God? But you know what I mean. I think it's fun sometimes to just stop and, and think, if I was being honest from my from my context, how would we have written this and see how off it is? 
So like there are many who would be able to write that psalm saying, make a delicate noise to the Lord. Well, noise, they wouldn't use the word noise. <laughs> make a delicate whispered prayer to the Lord. Um, sing inside your head to him. But this is definitely talking about a robust, fulsome, physical sound of joy. Yeah. And so when for those and, and many years ago, that was the kind of context we find found ourselves in um, the, the quieter kind. And there are people that in those contexts that criticize the louder ones. And sometimes they say, well, it's not our culture. It's not our custom. It's not the way we are. But I wonder, you know, do they go to hockey games, football games? Uh, when a grandchild's born, or their child's born, do they respond? Those same people respond with very subdued, quiet responses. And, you know, if that's the personality, well, even those personalities, I'm sorry, folks, then maybe it's it's time to be a little bit more expressive. But saying that it's not about the expression because it's easy. Oh, it says make a joke. No, so we're going to do that. And I've, I've been in, in um, so-called worship gatherings where uh, it, it, it was so intense, um, it almost seemed to be an attempt to conjure uh, God down into the experience of the congregation. Like, it just we make more noise and, and it's more dramatic, hit the bass drum louder, that sort of thing, then God's going to respond. And that's back to similar to uh, getting confused on the shofar. Um, there's, there's an authenticity that's necessary. And I, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit, and you could respond to this, Daniel. Like authenticity is is a little funny in the sense that you know if if uh, royalty visits or there's some hero that comes, it's right to honor them, like with their ticker tape parade or or you know with banners and 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 loud sounds. Maybe we had a bad day that day. Maybe we we're feeling kind of depressed. But there's a time and a place to express ourselves according to the whoever it is that's coming. And so I think there's an argument for an authentic, more dramatic, intense um, response to God is, is in order, no matter how we might feel. At the same time, remember, again, it's not the, the intensity that gets God to respond or anything like that. There is a time for quiet reflection as well. Absolutely agreed. No other comments on that one? No other comments. All right, let's go to the next one. I can do this properly, sorry. Here we are. Okay. Sorry, God, I'm, how I'm doing this here, I got a little. Mixed up. Okay, this is Isaiah 51 1. Take it away, Daniel. Isaiah 58 1. 58, Cry 1. aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a shofar. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, so here God is speaking to Isaiah and is likening his voice, the voice of the prophet, to the blast of the shofar, reminding us that the voice of the prophet is to be clear and distinct not subdued and unclear. Um, and so there's that need again, that associating the shofar with God's word, like it was at Mount Sinai, uh, and that how God's word should pierce through. The 
to mix the metaphor, pierce through the darkness, pierce through the confusion, that God's word should come clearly to people. And so then we also need to be reminded that because we've been given the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in a sense, we're all prophets. We've all been assigned by God to proclaim his word, and we should do so boldly and clearly. Along those lines, um, when it says, like, declare to the people their sins, like, so far my dad and I have been reflecting on passages that are talking about making the shofar miss a joyful noise. But like, it's actually a little bit miserable. It's actually very miserable sometimes mm -hmm. to have to declare to someone or, or share with someone where they are missing the mark, where they are walking in toxic ways, unhealthy ways, sinful ways. Uh, and I just was confronted with this yesterday because I have a precious friend who is making some decisions. And I tried, I tried to gently over the course of time, share with them my concerns. And then yesterday I got a call and they're in a tough place. And I, they're in a tough place because they went through some, um, they were, I don't know that they were sinful, but certainly unwise decisions. Um, and as I was just listening first, uh, yeah, as I was listening and I got off the phone, I was chatting with my wife and I just said like, I, I, I think that I missed the mark and that I should have been much more clear with my friend while they're making decisions. But I was so afraid and perhaps listeners have been as well of, 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 of pushing them away. I love this person of, 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 of disappointing them. And so as we listen to the shofar, there's a call to love by being honest. And, and just, I think of the, of Isaiah receiving this, this word from the Lord and just probably feeling sick in his, in his stomach thinking, I don't like this call from God. Like, I don't enjoy having to declare people where they're off to, to be honest with people, but it's part of loving people well. It needs to be done with humility and kindness and gentleness, meekness, but it, it needs to be done sometimes. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I, I play a little game, how long, how much time goes by before we talk about COVID again. Uh, but whatever one thinks about it, there is something going on where um, a large majority of our society thinks a particular way. And it's become very difficult for anybody to bring forward forth a different view and people are actually very very scared back to my podcast from a couple of weeks ago um it's you know people should have the freedom to speak up and in our relationships you would think we should have the freedom to speak up the person i'm talking to doesn't have to agree they're responsible for what they do with whatever information i'm trying to share and i know i could be wrong only god is altogether true and you know my perfect world world has us being able to share our hearts and and expressing what we think as believers what we believe god thinks about something without fear but it's not so simple so the, you know isaiah needed to be reminded you and i have to be reminded we all need to be reminded yeah so maybe there's anyone listening who there's someone in your family there's someone in your friend or you're a speaker a preacher there's your church and you, you you kind of have this sense you should speak up but you're afraid of people's reaction uh people might still react badly but i just want to encourage you today as we talk about those shofar to to really consider following through and saying the difficult truth yeah and as you were talking i was rem i'm remembering one of my my problems with this and i'm somebody who 
I'll feel really strongly about something, but then, and while I could come on really strong at times, on other times I could be, come across kind of wishy-washy, like try to throw hints out and, and get the other person to come to the conclusions that I want them to come to, rather than kindly and gently, but clearly saying what I believe needs to be said. So we need to sound a little bit more like shofars, a, a well-played shofar, which maybe we're gonna hear in a few minutes. Maybe. All right. Uh, let's go to the next one. Joel 2, verse 1. Blow a shofar in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. So one of the ways the shofar um, um, acts is as an alarm. Uh, the prophetic call in this this case again we're we're looking at another another one of the prophets. Uh, the shofar sounds an alarm, and it's it's an opportunity given to people to wake up when they are not when they're sleeping when they're not knowing uh, the danger that's afoot and the responses that we're supposed to have because we don't really know what's going on and the shofar reminds us to to get with it, pay attention, and respond accordingly. Absolutely. Excellent. Next one. Okay, another, another one of the prophets. This is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 14. This is the last from the... No, it isn't. It isn't. Never mind. Skip that comment. Go ahead, Daniel. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the shofar and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. So this is continuing the theme of warning of judgment. And this is a theme that needs to come to mind to us again. Uh, God's judgment is coming. And I know there's, with all COVID and all things going on, there's believers are talking about this being the end times. I'm actually thinking of doing a and end times thinking biblically episode because I think it's really needed. Um, but you never know when, in a sense, your judgment day is, is going to come. Uh, whether it's personal, whether it's communal, whether it's national, whether it's global, the world has lived through some horrific things. And um, the way things are going, it looks like we're, we're going to be facing very, very difficult times. And if that prediction isn't correct, I'm not concerned about it, because at some point, the Lord is going to return, and it will be the time of judgment. And we need to reckon with that before it's too late. Mm -hmm. There's an elderly saint, a friend of mine, uh, many decades older, who often says, live each day like it is your last, and someday you'll be right. <laughs> and it's not just a saying for her. She is actually trying to live a life where there's, yeah, where if there's, she's done something wrong, she's urgent about seeking to, with integrity, correct it. If there's a, a, a misunderstanding or even, um, I've, I've rarely seen anyone share the good news of Yeshua with people as much as her, because there's, there's a sense of like, not just her judgment, but the judgment coming to earth from God. And that there's um, something that helps us live with integrity and making the most of our days when we live in that way. And the shofar, very clearly, the sound calls us to that. So now what we're going to do, we're going to look at a New Testament uh, passage. And in the Greek, 
it seems that the Hebrew word for uh, for horn and the Hebrew word for trumpet, it seems to deal with them all the same. The these the particular passage, it's First Corinthians 15, 50 through 55, it fits in with with the shofar theme and follows up on what we've just been talking about, uh, the Lord's return, the coming judgment, and so on. So let's get this up here. It's a couple of slides, maybe three. Okay. First Corinthians 15, 50 to 55. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Now we're going to be going back to uh, a, a passage from the Hebrew Scriptures is the last one, but before we do that, um, looking at this, so we saw how the shofar uh, helps us to anticipate the coming judgment. And then the New Testament continues on that theme that there will be a last sounding of possibly the shofar. It doesn't really matter whether it's a silver trumpet or uh, or a shofar like this. It's There will be the sound when it's time. And all that the Bible has been anticipating in terms of the renewal of all of creation, the judgment of God of all people and the resurrection of the dead, um, it, it, will, it will happen, it will come. And the, so the shofar reminds us that it's coming so that we should be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. For all of us, just as I was reading the verse, like uh, for all of us who have um, experienced the sting of death, um, for everybody who has experienced uh, that that sense of 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 death invading our lives, um, sometimes feeling as if darkness wins the day, uh, these mm -hmm. these verses just get me. Um, yeah, th these verses are grounded in one of the most beautiful pages in all of the new testament which is speaking about the resurrection of yeshua and as certain as he has risen from the dead so also we know that by his death he's defeated death and yeah it's awesome and it's not a thing we should be remembering and it deserves its own focus too one of the themes that we've seen in this COVID time is it's as if this moment is all we have and so we have to preserve this moment. And there's no sense that there's more to life than this, this part of our existence that the Bible teaches about an age to come. And not everyone will uh, inherit the age to come according to the scriptures. And it's a, it's a serious, serious warning. It's open. My, my understanding of the Bible is it's open to anyone who would receive Yeshua as their Lord and Messiah. 
And that is the the way we connect with God's plan uh, for for life, an, an eternal life that begins when we know God through Yeshua and then continues on and ultimately in the in the resurrection. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to actually what is the first occurrence of of a ram's horn. It's not blown here, but it is there and it's something that we should be that we should remember when we blow the shofar and this uh is one of the passages, a special passage that's read at this time of year in the synagogue. So the this story is associated with Rosh Hashanah and um it contains a ram's horn. So Let's bring that up for Daniel to read. There we go. Genesis 22, 12 to 14. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to him up, up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Yeah, thank you for reading all those passages. So here we have this famous story, very difficult story of God tests Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his son. And at the last minute, an angel speaks to him, it stops him, and then um, directs him to this thicket, which my understanding is some like a thorn bush. And he sees a ram caught by his horns. Uh, and, and then use, that's the ram that's given in place of Isaac. And so the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn, reminds us of God's provision of for us that we might live. And that is all connected with what Yeshua has done. Because unlike Isaac, who is uh who is not sacrificed, that pointed to the true sacrifice that would come when Yeshua himself would do it. And an astounding connection to this is how the Roman soldiers took thorns, heavy-duty thorns, and wrapped them into a crown and put them, ouch, on his head. And so his head, in a sense, was caught in the thicket. Like, who could make this stuff up that there would be that kind of connection to what happened with Abraham and Isaac and then what happened with Yeshua later on? So the idea of... A, a substitute sacrifice for us. What Isaac experienced with the ram is experienced by, can be experienced by all of us through Yeshua the Messiah. And so the blowing of the shofar reminds us of the sacrificial substitute. Did you want to comment further on that? Or is it time? I, I think it might be time. Okay, it's time. Okay, so... I'm gonna leave Daniel on screen so you could watch his expression. He's gonna he's gonna be standing for your stead. Now I've done this many times, and I even practiced today, but one never really knows if what's gonna happen when I attempt to do this. So there are three standard blasts of the 
or it's called traditional blasts of the shofar. There's a long one. Then there's a quick set of staccato, uh, no, sorry, three shorter ones, followed by seven staccato, quick blasts. And then the longer blast is repeated, but longer. That's the plan. That's what I'm going to try to do. And hopefully sound-wise with doing this is also going to work as well. We'll see what happens. So here we go. Well, I hope you appreciated that. Um, also, um, you might be interested in an additional Rosh Hashanah reflection that I wrote for this year, um, and the link to that article is in the description below. Please send your comments and questions to comments at thinkingbiblically.org, and if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe. And so until next time, oh, Shana Tova, Happy New Year to you all. Until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.